So we're moving into the third week of Advent now, and not a hint at all of Bethlehem, of an angel, of an unexpected birth, none of that, none of uh, those of you that will watch that the chosen Christmas special tonight, nothing here from what you'll see in that tonight. And remember, the reason for that is that the church is much, much more concerned that you and I are getting our hearts prepared for the coming of Christ now, that's the, the, the middle of those three comings, and that we're ready for his coming again at the end of time. The first is the historical coming, and there's value to that, certainly. But the church spends this whole first part of Advent not even going near the nativity itself, but reminding us the Lord loves you so much that he is wanting to be active in your life right now. He's wanting to come to you right now. And so don't miss what he's doing. So what is it that we're waiting for? What is it that we should expect? In the first reading today, there is from the prophet Zephaniah this beautiful passage that has built into it seven promises of what the Lord wants to do and will do when we allow him into our life. Seven promises from the prophet Zephaniah. I would encourage you, this is a good place to pray this coming week, to go back into it. It's in chapter three of Zephaniah. But just to, to, to get a sense of what it is that we're waiting for him to do, Here's the first of the promises. The Lord, when he comes, the prophet declares, the Lord has removed the judgment against you. This is beautiful. The judgment that would come from, I'm a sinner, Lord, and and rightly, rightly, in all justice, I should bear the weight of my sins. I've, I've made choices, and there are consequences that come from that, But the Lord says, when you let me into your heart, one of the things that I want to do is I want to remove the judgment from you. It's mercy. And it's the Lord Jesus taking on himself, bearing the burden, the weight of our sins. There's such good news in that promise of mercy. Another promise, he has turned away your enemies. And this is the deepest enemy sin and death. He wants you to experience that victory in your own life, to experience living in a new way where you've allowed him to turn away the greatest enemy of the human family, sin and death. And then from that, another promise that living that out, then that we don't live in fear. You have no further misfortune to fear. It doesn't mean that there won't be other misfortunes, but you won't fear them because you know that in the big picture of your whole life for all eternity, he's conquered death and wants to welcome you into eternal life. That is such good news. The the fourth promise, and I'll end with that, and I'll let you, as homework, dig into it and pick out the others. But the fourth promise, the King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. He loves you so much that he wants to be close to you. He wants your heart to know the warmth of his love. 
He wants you to know that he doesn't rule over the universe from afar, but he's deeply involved right in the midst of all the stuff that plays out in your daily life. What good news that is, that he wants to, and is willing to get right into the midst of just all of the mess of our daily life. Now, I end there because that's a good place to move into the gospel. The crowds in Jerusalem and in the outlying towns and villages, at the time that John the Baptist begins to preach, the people were told by St. Luke, they're filled with expectation. Like something's happened in their hearts and they're saying to themselves, we are done with the world. We, we've, we've tried what the world has to offer. It is not satisfying us. We know there's something more and we are longing, we are expecting and we are ready now for the coming of the Messiah. What an awesome place to be in. Sometimes we get there painfully. Some of you maybe even recently, you've hit rock bottom. There's stuff that you've tried in life and maybe you're even afraid to admit it, but you know that it's not working and you're wasting time and money and emotional and spiritual energy on stuff that's not giving your heart any real life and you want to be done with it, but you're afraid to be done with it. Don't be afraid to be done with it. That acknowledgement, Lord, I want more. I, I want more. And I'm willing to leave kind of the, the, the city of the world and I'm, I'm willing to go out to the desert to meet you if that's what it takes. What a, what a beautiful place to be in. And going into this third week of Advent, the Lord is wanting to tug on your hearts and call you out of, of the earthly city where you've looked and you've searched for things to satisfy your, your different hungers and thirsts. He's wanting to call you out of that and not be afraid to go out into the desert with a sense of longing and expectation. When the people go out to meet John, the gospel begins tonight with the crowds asking him, what shall we do? What a great question. They know that in some way, although the Messiah is coming and it's, it's his work, they, they sense that there's something that they need to do in order to prepare for him and welcome him. What shall we do then? And then here's where it just gets, I think, utterly amazing. We often think, especially around something as incredible as the coming of the Savior, that maybe John would say, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to sell your house. You need to buy, buy, an S, buy a, a big RV. You need to pack the whole family in. And you just gotta, just, you gotta get out of Dodge. And you gotta go on some like mythical quest. And I'll lead you up a mountain that barely anyone can get up. And there you'll meet him. We often think that that's what it takes in order to be ready to meet the Messiah. But John, John says to them, here's what you need to do. Here's the best way for you to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. If you have extra clothing and there's somebody that you know that's cold, share your clothing, your cloak with them. And the same with food. If you have enough to eat and you know that there are people around you that are hungry, Share your food with them. And we might say, wait a minute, this is just, this is too basic. But it's not too basic. This is morality. 
This is what it means to be in a right place with God. To be in a right place with God is to live our life in a way where the choices that we're making don't separate us from Him, but unite us with Him. And so, it's super basic advice, and it's just all about the basics of, of morality. How do I love God and how do I love neighbor? So, tax collectors, they say, well, teacher, what should we do? John gives them specific advice. Stop collecting more than what's prescribed. You know that you've been ripping people off, and Rome doesn't mind that you rip people off because they're getting their cut, but you know it's wrong. So don't rip people off. And then the soldiers ask John, well, what should we do? Don't practice extortion, he says. Don't falsely accuse anyone. And don't riot and and, and cause trouble because you think that you should be getting more money. Be satisfied with your wages. It is so basic. Don't overlook how important this central piece is. Out of everything that we can be doing to get our hearts ready to experience in our own life those seven promises from Zephaniah, the Lord is telling us through John, start with what is most basic and important. Live a good moral life. And so if John were here, well, let me, let, let me, let me get a little bit of congregational participation here. If John were here, and you who are students, if you said, well, John, what, what should we do? We're students. What do you think John would say to the students who are here? He would say repent. He would say repent. Okay, well, he, we know that's his message. But specific to the life of a student, maybe he would say, don't cheat. Do your own work. But don't cheat and lie by taking someone else's work. How about an office worker around the water cooler? What would John say? Don't gossip. Yes, exactly, Jeanette. Don't gossip. Like This is, is not rocket science. What would he say? I, maybe I shouldn't let the wives answer this one, but what would he say to husbands? <laughs> husbands, what, what do you think? Okay, but you're not a husband. <laughs> but because you quoted scripture, I can't just throw that out. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's St. Paul. That's his letter to the Ephesians. It's chapter 5. It's beautiful marriage advice. Thank you. Yes. So, wives, what would he say to you? Respect our husbands. Yeah. That's also St. Paul. St. Paul, in one of his other letters, says to wives, wives, respect your husbands. Wives, love, or husbands, love your wives. There is, by the way, a a really powerful uh, marriage program called Love and Respect, all built off of that one verse. God made men and women different, and hence the command is different. Wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. So the point is this. This is not super complicated. It's basic stuff that we would be living a right relationship with God and with neighbor. That's what leads to our hearts being 
best prepared for the coming of the Messiah so that everything that we heard in the prophet Zephaniah, that we can experience that. We, we can't fool ourselves and think that we can make choices that are at odds with loving God and loving neighbor. We can't think that we can deliberately make choices that, that are not good and upright and moral and at the same time be ready for the coming of Jesus more deeply into our hearts. Those are just, they're just at odds. They really are. And sometimes we don't like to hear that, but, but John is not here to win at any polls and popularity contests. John is here because his heart passionately burns with this fire of love for God and Christ. And he wants us to experience what he's coming to bring. And so John's not afraid to tell us the truth. What, what good news that this is. The Lord loves your daily life. He loves your daily life and it's right in the midst of your daily life as a mom, a dad, a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, a student, wherever you are, it's right in the midst of that that John says, that's where you can best prepare for the coming of the Savior. Isn't that good news? You do not have to leave behind your work tomorrow. Like when you show up at work tomorrow morning and you put your hand on the office door and you open it up and you walk in, you're not entering into a place where the Lord says, well, I, I won't be with you, but when you're done, I'll meet you back at your car. He says, all right, here's the deal. You've got from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m., this is spiritual time here because the more that you love your coworker or you love the people that are underneath of you that you supervise, the better that you love them, the more your heart is being prepared to welcome me, says the Lord. This is such good news because nothing is off limits. He loves every part of your life. If he didn't, he would never have been born in that mess of a stable in the manger. He loves every bit of our ordinary life and it's there that he meets us and it's there that we are best prepared for his coming more deeply into our lives.